I sit here at my writing desk in quite a quixotic fugue. Tender as my sensibilities are, presently I will attempt to gather what wits remain. That is, if any wits I possessed in the first place. The curious Conte I am about to relay may seem based in fiction and purely intended for entertainment, though, I assure you, the missive laid out before me I pen as a cautionary tale. Most tales tend to start at the beginning. It makes sense to start at the beginning, as that's where most things begin. But how we arrived embroiled in the terrible trappings of which we find ourselves that fateful morning is inconsequential. So, by any case of substantial shenanigans, we will begin our tale right here. I woke up in a foggy daze. The room was dark save a perilous light creeping around thick, dark window shades. Around one of my legs was wrapped a portion of soft cotton sheet and a comforter covered the bottom half of my body. It was quite cold. Not so much a bone-crackling chill as a welcomed refreshment against my sweat-speckled skin. Presently I came to the realization I was reasonably nude. The door to my bedroom was closed, so there was no danger of exposing the bits and pieces of a healthy thirty-year-old bachelor. Finding some garments, I made surreptitiously for to open the door. Before me, the scenario should have been cause for at least a moment of shock. Yet, for some ineffable and unjust reason, all I could do was stare at the ghastly scene with the wonder of a child, when the callow misunderstanding of new experience is simultaneously frightening and exhilarating. I stepped over the bodies. A bibulous lot, strewn about the floor and dripping from furniture like so many dolly clock faces. A motionless groan emanated from one of the wretched souls decorating my living space. Perhaps it came from all of them. Perhaps none of them. Perhaps this was indeed an inner groan produced by my very own psyche, a result of diluted consciousness. Notwithstanding, I pressed on towards the cookery, gathering myself while I gathered ingredients to resurrect the gathered ghouls of this garish gathering. My rattling caused the corpses to stir. Groggily at first, one, another, then another, till eventually the whole mangled menagerie was writhing in discontent. What transpired next was a grave miscalculation on my part, and brings us to the admonishing portion of our narrative, within such I render said admonishing with a tender air of contrition. For, in an attempt to mollify my tremulous tormentors, I mixed up a potion indelibly delicate with which to revive these corpses to a state of conscious conviviality. Within the hour this lascivious lot of loungers was all a dither and raucous revels. The misadventure spanned the entire morning, engulfed the afternoon, and stretched well into another debaucherous night. By the time the engagement had run its course and the horde had dispersed, I found myself devoid of any sense of reality, a gruesome cavorting that led only to the forsaking of a full day, therefore leaving my very same body inevitably inept. The next thing I knew, that same perilous light of morning clawed its way around the dark curtains of my chambers. The fog had, the fog had subsided, the air was warm and inviting, Thrusting myself into the room previously occupied by such rioting revelers, I found naught but a spinning fan and a waxless candle jar, spiriting the final wisps of white smoke into an atmosphere of tranquility. This was indeed the Lord's Day. I had lost the entirety of a full twenty-four hours. Flashes of memory appeared and vanished like drunken brilliance. I was safe now, but the iniquity of that day ever haunts my regard. All because I had the audacity to try my hand as a corpse reviver. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Tony, and this is Pod Tiki.
The Corpse Reviver, although sharing a cognomen theme with zombies and suffering bastards, is not a tiki drink at all but a classic pre-prohibition cocktail going all the way back to the sporting age and the invention of the cocktail as we know it. There is another Venn diagram where these three drinks intersect as well. They are all part of a category, the hangover cure. In those early days of American cocktail, a corpse reviver was not a drink, but a group of drinks also known as eye-openers or the common hair of the dog. Before Don Beach and Joe Shalom leveled up the classification with zombies and bastards, respectively, every bartender from San Francisco to Manhattan had their own high-gravity remedy meant to jolt the life back into the droopy-eyed Drunkenstein with elbows on the bar and head in hand. We're talking about a period in American drinking habits that make a long weekend in Vegas look like dinner at Grandma's house. That is, unless you're from a family like mine, in which Grandma usually is the first one to break out the margaritas. In the late 19th and 20, or early 20th centuries, a class of mostly men known as the sporting fraternity took tippling to the next level. These folks were an affluent, decorous group with proclivities towards horse racing, gambling, fast company, and faster cocktails. Champagne with breakfast, beer at lunch, a cocktail to perk up the afternoon, why not? Perhaps another before dinner, wine with food, Manhattans and martinis well into the evening. One can see how a lifestyle such as this may require a little morning medicine, referred to back then as taking one's bitters. This ribald retinue will eventually become the roaring crowd of the 1920s, where cocaine would do the job. But before we collectively agreed as a country that drugs were the answer to our problems, we simply relied on more alcohol in the morning. Though the cocktail, quote-unquote, itself is truly an American invention, the Corpse Reviver found its way into history from England. The first print mention of a Corpse Reviver dates way back to an English magazine in 1861. Think about this. That's Civil War era in the United States, and they're drinking hangover cure cocktails over in England. The first written recipe appears ten years later, in 1871 in the Gentleman's Table Guide by E. Rickett and C. Thomas. However, the man who made it famous, or infamous perhaps, was Harry Craddock, or Harry Craddock, Craddock? It's one of those names, C-R-A-D-D-O-C-K. Craddock? Craddock. I'm going to say Craddock. Harry Craddock. <laughs> Working out of the Savoy Hotel in London, circa the 1920s and 1930s. In 1930, Harry published the now-infamous Savoy Cocktail Book, wherein he gave two recipes, Corpse Reviver No. 1 and Corpse Reviver No. 2. The number 1 consisted of a heady blend of cognac, calvados, and sweet vermouth. But walk in a modern speakeasy or any bar and order a Corpse Reviver, and you're most likely going to get a relative rendition of the number 2. Gin, orange liqueur, lille blanc, lemon juice, and a dash of absinthe. Not only does that ingredient list read medicinal, just add some Eye of Newton and any self-respecting snake oil peddler would surely have that in their cart, but it actually renders a delicious cocktail too. As it should. There is a tendency to look back on this era of mixology like early hominids learning how to use sharp rocks to shred meat off of gazelle bones for the first time. In actuality, much like classical music, the creators of these drinks are responsible for highly delicate and intricate melodies that are not only works of art in their own right, but have become the reference points for over a century of cocktailia. 
Harry Craddock came from that class of the first celebrity bartenders, much like his American contemporary, the godfather of mixology, Jerry Thomas. Now, he came to the United States for his bartending education in 1897, where he worked at Cleveland's Hollandale Hotel and New York's Knickerbocker Hotel. A word that always scares me when I have to say it. <laughs> uh, like a lot of Promethean mixologists, he fled the U.S. to escape prohibition in 1920, settling back in London, subsequently taking the helm at the American bar of the Savoy Hotel. Now, Craddock did much in his life to promote the art of mixology, including founding the United Kingdom Bartenders Guild. And his Savoy cocktail book is still revered as one of the essential recipe guides studied by modern mixologists, professional and passionado alike. Harry Craddock lived all the way till 1963, when sadly, despite his contribution to his craft, he was buried in a pauper's grave. By all accounts, his corpse had no desire to be revived. Harry didn't invent the category, of corpse, the category of corpse reviver, but it is his recipe that bears the name and legacy today. Now, not as popular as its Prohibition-era cousins, the corpse reviver has experienced a revival of its own as a member of a recherche group of classic cocktails. Just to be sure, uh, well, well, let's just be sure to heed Harry's warning that, quote, four of these taken in quick succession will unrevive the corpse again, unquote. Then again, we of the Tiki are not known for heeding warnings when it comes to imbibing, so let's make a drink! One of the things that makes a corpse reviver special, in my humble opinion, but an opinion formulated equidistant between personal experience and professional commentary, is that all of the ingredients are perfectly balanced to render what may be one of the rare, perfect cocktails one of which is truly greater than the sum of its parts, one of which brings harmonious or rings harmonious like a musical chord. The individual ingredients dovetail so nicely that it's almost as if they're not separate parts, but a seamless monolithic indulgence. And we luck out here in that rare case in which there's very little discord, if any, regarding ingredients. We have Harry's recipe spelled out in detail right there in his book, a refreshing change from the inherent mystery built into the fabric of tiki. We start with some London dry gin. For martinis, I usually go with Bombay Sapphire, but in a mixer with heavier ingredients, I use Beefeater. I think it pushes those botanicals to the forefront a bit more. It's really based on individual taste, and as long as we stay in the London dry category, it'll be whatever you use is up to you. In the days this drink was created, American Tipplers favored Holland gin, or Jennifer. This heavier, more grainy, malty gin was lighter on the floral notes, but heavier on the, the, uh, heavier on the palate and actually worked to make gin versions of early cognac and bourbon drinks. Harry Craddock may have used Holland gin while cutting his teeth in the U.S., but by the time he created the Corpse Reviver, number two, he was back in England and using the more popular by then London Dry style, which he specifies in his written recipe. Next, he calls specifically for Contro. I've seen modern recipes simplify that to any orange liqueur, and I must admit, as I become more experienced, I'm beginning to think they're all pretty similar. But alas, I stuck with Contro. Personally, Triple Sec does seem to, to me to have a bit more of a sweet orange flavor than, say, a bitter curacao. Besides, I didn't want to mess up the color of the drink by using a colored liqueur. 
The only caveat would be the Corpse Reviver number blue. That's right, the Corpse Reviver number blue. This parody was created by Jacob Bryars, and um, then brand ambassador for Bacardi, as a joke poking fun at all the neon-colored nightclub drinks of the 1980s and 90s. Somehow, it stuck. Nostalgia is all the rage these days, so I wouldn't be surprised to see some glowing drinks back in the clubs. To make the uh, number blue, simply swap the triple sec for blue curacao. Now, this is my first time using this next ingredient, Lille Blanc, or Lillette Blanc. Lille is a French aperitif wine liqueur that comes in white and red varieties, but this is no vermouth. Uh, Lille Blanc has the buttery characteristic of a fine Chardonnay. It's really quite good as a dessert wine in its own right, and it adds a bit of sweetness to the drink by way of rich, creamy notes, which is just what we need to offset the fresh lemon juice. As with all citrus for cocktails, please use fresh squeeze. That is, if the lemons will still fit in your juicer. Holy crap! Have you seen the unnatural size of lemons lately? This is not what lemons are supposed to look like, folks. If you're ever looking for proof our food is being tampered with, just look at the size of these lemons. The final ingredient is absinthe. Okay, this is where I'm going to ruffle some feathers. I love absinthe. I became a true fan years ago when my wife and I began frequenting a local French bar in town. I love the lore and legend of the Green Fairy inspiring so many great artistic minds. It's the sort of folly-chasing death that makes for great romanticism. I just wish I could buy into it. It's like this. We all know what gives absinthe its reputation is the mythical wormwood. The psychoactive ingredient in wormwood is a compound called thujone. In 1912, the U.S. banned absinthe for this reason. Ironically, cocaine was still being prescribed by doctors. But of course, when you tell Americans we can't have something, we just want it more. So, modern science did a deep dive on the mythos of absinthe. The Tax and Trade Bureau, the agency which regulates dangerous spirits, considers a spirit with amounts less than 10 parts per million to be thujone-free. Well, according to cocktail historian Ted High, both mint-conditioned pre-ban absinthe and modern post-ban absinthe recipes contain less thujone than the amount needed to even register. In fact, a cup of sage tea contains roughly 80 milligrams of thujone. Thujone. Thujone? Thujone. That is, a, that, that is a compound that will give you a lisp on, on a podcast. Thujone. Therefore, uh, anyway, if this is true, unfortunately, the science does not back up absinthe having any psychoactive effects at all. Besides a high alcohol content and, and a delicious flavor that together lend itself to overindulgence. I'm not going to sit here and say I don't feel a bit trippy when I drink absinthe. Especially if it's the only alcohol I've had, and I've had a few, and it's late, and I'm feeling particularly haughty. But here's the part where some people are going to disagree. I taste no difference between absinthe and pernod. I think pernod is delectable and should stop being referred to as an alternative. In finer quality absinthe, there is a, in absinthes, there is a certain tongue-coating pasties creaminess that comes from Wormwood, but then again, I get almost the same sensation from any anise-based spirit. So, I'm not really sure that Wormwood adds anything save posterity. Nonetheless, to stay true to Harry's recipe, I used Absente brand absinthe for my Corpse Revivers. 
and the numerous late-night pours of absinthe I imbibed in, trying to catch the muse credited to so many green fairies. I just wanted to catch that muse for myself. There's one more thing we need to cover. Harry Craddock's original recipe calls for equal parts gin, lilay, contro, and lemon juice with a dash of absinthe. Reflecting back on David Wondrick's book Imbibe, I recall learning that a, a lot of the sugar and citrus in early Golden Age cocktails was open to interpretation. Indeed, while researching this episode, I came across a few expert mixologists taking liberties with the lemon juice. A full measure of citrus in a corpse reviver, for me, makes it into a sour cocktail. It tastes just like a lemon daiquiri. All of the abstract nuance of the, uh, nuance of the blend gets, gets lost. It's, it's more likely that the spirits and liqueurs used in Harry's day would have been much stronger, or at least more potent. It's also very true that our preferences as drinkers changed throughout the decades. Libations were much sweeter back then. Going back to the days of Navy Grog, the purpose of adding sugar and fruit was to cover up the liqueur, not accentuate it as in modern times. All that to say, I believe reducing the lemon juice to a half a part renders a better balanced drink and allows the Contro and Lillet to really take the foreground. So, with trepidatious reverence, I give you the Corpse Reviver. One ounce London Dry Gin, one ounce Contro, one ounce Lillet Blanc, half ounce lemon juice, one dash of absinthe. Uh, one dash of absinthe could also be eight drops from a dropper or about a bar spoon. Take all ingredients, uh, shake all ingredients with ice and double strain into a coupe or cocktail glass. Drop a stemless cherry in the bottom. Modern bartenders sometimes rinse the glass with absinthe, absinthe instead of taking it with the other ingredients, a la Sazerac. Um, but when the man who wrote the book says shake it, you say, how hard, baby? Speaking of how hard, it's just about as hard as it is to remind me never to do another, another cocktail with absinthe and thujone and so many, <laughs> so many th sounds. I sound like a, I sound like a, uh, like a, like someone from Spain. How they speak Spanish with a little bit of a lisp. I feel like I'm gonna, I'm gonna catch on to that. My okay, so my first sip impression was buttery white wine shimmering with flashes of flowery botanicals. Orange comes through next, accompanied by flirtatious anise. The fairy smiles, no doubt. All wrapped in a cloud of crisp, lemon, fresh lemon that is always there, yet you don't notice it till you think about it. The gin almost fades into a background component. Just, wow. This is a wonderful drink. And yes, it will wake the dead. It is a stiff one for sure. For a morning after drink, it's laying down some pretty heavy night before vibes. It tastes like a Gatsby party in a glass. Now, flowery bullshit aside, this really is an incredible drink. Even the finest cocktails usually play on sweet, grainy, fruity, or spicy flavors. Never have I encountered such a creamy cocktail. I know the overuse of the term buttery can be pretentious, but it truly is the best way to describe the way Lillet and Contro play with the lemon and anise. Plus, zero bite. Just frightfully pleasing enjoyment. In closing, I bid you beware. For the corpse reviver can create a cursed creature or bring one back to the realm of the living. Then again, 
one can never tell if the revived is truly alive. Heed my warning, fellow followers of Dionysius. When dabbling in the necromantic cocktails, one must be prepared for what is awakened. My name is Tony, and this has been Pod Tiki. Sources for this episode can be found under the blog post for this episode at podtiki.com. I urge you all to head over to a social media to follow Pod Tiki, pod underscore tiki on Instagram. You can follow our YouTube page where you catch all the Inside the Mug episodes where we talk about the episodes. It's our video-only show where we talk about behind-the-scenes stuff in the episodes and some further stories. We also have all the how-to-make videos on there if you're interested in learning how to make the cocktails visually. We want to, uh, once again, I want to urge you to check out my Summer Sessions EP, which is available on the website by clicking uh, Summer Sessions, Volume 1. It says, right, it's a little tab right there. If you guys are looking for, the holidays are coming, Halloween is just around the corner. If you guys are looking for some fine, high-quality, custom, or just standard glass strawware for your holiday imbibing needs, I urge you to go over to SurfSideSips.com. Andrew's a great friend of the show and always been nice to me and kind to me, and he makes some wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, custom straws made out of high-quality glass, machine washable. washable. They're not going to break. You can get, you can go out of your way like crazy and get some crazy custom designs like octopus and puffer fish and all kinds of stuff he's got going on for the Halloween season, or you can go simple. With a, with a straight glass straw or a bamboo design, you can get them with a bent tip. You can get them in like 6-inch, 8-inch, 9-inch, 10-inch. Like he's got, you got that, that tiki mug that you can't put a straw in because it just drops into the bottom of the mug, some of those tall tiki mugs. Andrew at Surfside Sips has got you covered with high-quality glass straws that make for, that just add to the style and aesthetic of your cocktails. The biggest thing to think about is when you go to the site and you check out, you go to that little coupon section and you put in Pod Tiki. That's P O D T I K I, all one word, all caps, and that's going to grab you twenty percent off, and it's going to let him know that I sent you, and that you're listening to the show. Also, want to give a shout out to all my Patreon followers. There's a new video I just put up. If you haven't checked it, it's not actual. It's the first. It's the only video I put up. It's new to me, but it's been a couple of. It's I say it's new because I haven't talked to you guys since I put it up, but um. If you guys want to check out and see what that's about, I'm going to be rude. Uh, or it's not a video; it's it's actually a podcast. It's a it's a exclusive podcast I put up. Um, this particular episode, uh, it's got something to do with uh, my home bar, and I'm going to continue that series at the next Patreon, and then uh, you know maybe have a maybe I'll explain to you guys what we're doing, or maybe I'll keep it on the Patreon. I don't know, but it, for exclusive content and further exclusive content, um, and heads up on everything that's coming out in the future. And there's going to be merch giveaways and merch discounts and some freebies. Um, as soon as I get the ball rolling on on uh, all that, I explain all that in the podcast, in the in the show, to the Patreons. Um, so if you want to be in on what's going on with that, sign up on Patreon. It's only $3 a month. Support the show. If you want to throw me a little something, I promise you I'm going to put it right back into the show and get some nice merch and uh, better quality, better quality production and things like that. So, without further ado, I most of all, I want to say, please, please, please be safe this Halloween season. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening. Keep the comments and everything coming. I'll see you guys 
after All Hallows' Eve. So keepy tiki.